How many know that there is a way for us? Notice the word us, including myself. There is a way for us to have victory over the mistakes we have made in the past. As I look out, I'm reminded that none of us are perfect. And this whole series, you're not the boss of me. It's all about how to say no to the emotions that compete for control. Guilt, you're not the boss of me. That's where we're going today. Next week, we're going to take a look at envy. You're not the boss of me. Anger, you're not the boss of me. Fear, you're not the boss of me. Greed, you're not the boss of me. Now, last week, we talked about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, how they came to Jesus and accused his disciples of breaking the traditions of the elders by not washing their hands before they ate. And Jesus responded with a counter question, a counter argument, and a counter accusation. And then down in the 17th verse, he says this to his disciples. Don't you see that whatever enters into a, the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. Or this is what defiles a man. Or this is what makes a man at odds with God and others. And then he said this in verse 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder. Adultery. Sexual immorality. Theft. False testimony, slander. And these, these are what makes a man unclean. Where do they come from? They come from the heart. And that's why last week we talked about how along with monitoring our behavior, God says, listen, it's, it's okay, you, you should monitor your behavior, but, but Jesus says, I want you to go a little bit deeper. I want you to go down into the recesses of your heart. And how we need to heed the advice of Solomon in Proverbs 4.23. I call this my birthday verse. I was born on April 23rd. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, above all else, the most important thing you can do is to guard your heart 
for everything you do flows from it. What's eventually in here is going to come out, whether positive or negative. What our parents carried in their hearts spilled out to us and to others. What's in your heart will eventually spill out to those who are the closest. That's why it's so important for us to guard, to monitor. How do we monitor? How do we guard our hearts? What does that look like? What is that made up of? Guarding our hearts involves cleansing or getting rid of the toxins, the poisons, as well as guarding that they don't come in, the toxins and the poisons. And today we're going to take a look at the debilitating emotion. Debilitating, that's a, that's a strong word. I once met a man who had such back pain. He called it debilitating. He couldn't do anything. Do you know there are many people today who are Christians who can't do anything because of the guilt in their life? It's debilitated them. What is guilt? Guilt is the emotion associated with acknowledging that you have done something wrong. Now, in a couple minutes, just give me a time, I'm going to talk about the difference between guilt and conviction. Because there is, I, I see there's a difference between guilt and conviction. But I just want to center on guilt. You know, you can have a false guilt you, you can carry a false guilt where you think you're guilty when you haven't done anything to be guilty of. There, there are some people who call, carry around false guilt, but I'm not going there today. Where we're going today is there are individuals who feel guilty because they are guilty. They've done something wrong. They've wronged somebody. And if you're not careful, if you don't deal with guilt, guilt has a way of defining you. Did you know that? You can be defined by your guilt without even knowing it. Then there's this other type of guilt that is so bad, so strong, that you suppress it. You try to hide it. You try to cover it up. And every once in a while in life, there's a trigger that will allow this guilt to, to come to the forefront. And, and you feel so bad because of what you have done. You don't want to deal with it. So you try to, once again, suppress it. You try to hide it. You try to cover it up. And then you start to have a narration with yourself. You start to try to justify. You, you start to talk to yourself by saying something like, 
Well, it wasn't really my fault. I really didn't know better. That's when I was 20 years old. My father had this problem. My grandfather had this problem. So, therefore, it's, it's not really my fault. And we try to, to suppress and hide. Denying guilt. Denying it. Trying to cover it up. Trying to suppress it. Or being defined by your wrongdoings. It empowers you. You can be empowered by it. And all of a sudden, guilt has a way of throwing you off balance. And without even knowing it, there are many people who are trying to live this Christian life. And they're so consumed with their guilt of what they've done in the past. That they're thrown off balance and it becomes the boss of them. Guilt can become a weight. You carry this weight of guilt around everywhere you go. You may have picked it up in college, but you carry it into your next season. You may have picked it up at work, but you carry it to home. You may have picked it up on a business trip, but it travels with you. If you carry it, if you bury it, this is what psychology has taught us. It can involve into anger. And you know what happens? Anger leaks. Anger leaks. You're angry with yourself. You're disappointed with yourself. But then all of a sudden you're angry with yourself. So therefore you're angry with everyone else. Because everyone else has disappointed you. You didn't live up to your own expectations. And now nobody can live up to your expectations. A lot of people never make this connection. That a lot of unhappiness and a lot of anger. Is a result of the heavy weight of guilt. That we carry around. For things we have done in the past. And here. Those of us. Those of us. Who refuse to face it. We do so with a good reason. We don't want to admit. We don't want to face it. Because to face it means we are condemned. Now, I was trying to think of a good definition for condemned. And the only thing I could think of is from time to time on the news, you'll hear a report of how a building has been condemned. When a building has been condemned, what does that mean? It's no longer useful. It's no longer safe. It's no longer of value. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of Christians carrying this weight of guilt, carrying this condemnation 
that they feel they're not worthy, that they feel they're of no value. They feel they're useless. That's why it's debilitating. And after all, after you've done something, come on, aren't there, don't you wish you had some do-overs in life? Don't you wish you had some do-overs? I'm sure there are things in your life that you wish you could go and do over. But there's no recourse. You can't undo. You can't unsay. You can't unleave. You can't be unfaithful. You can't undrink. You can't unwork too much. So once again, you create this narrative with yourself. You start talking to yourself. Then I just have to keep moving on. Let me just keep pressing on. But how many know the past wasn't designed to be just left behind? The past wasn't designed to be just left behind. Listen, there are things in my life, and I'm sure there's things in your life, that you just wish you could just totally forget about. But you can't. So how, Pastor? How do we deal with what we have done in the past? Well, don't let it define you. And don't keep trying to suppress it and deny it. Jesus gives us another alternative. Now, in a minute, I'm going to share with you a scripture verse. From Romans chapter 8, verse 1. But before I share these words with you, let me remind you, or let me inform you who is saying these words. These words that you're about to hear were spoken by a man who had more regret than all of our regret totaled here. If we we were to go around and take and and start saying, "What what, what do you regret? What do you regret? What do you regret? What do you... This man's regret is more than the total combined regret here in this building. I'm talking about a man who heard voices of cries as he persecuted, as he tortured, as he ordered people to be executed. I'm talking about a man who told Timothy in the Bible that he was the chief of sinners. There were no sinners worse than him. We're talking about a man who all of a sudden on the road of Damascus has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden he he gives his life to Christ. And now he's part of an institution, the very institution that he was persecuting. And I'm sure that Paul had come to know people whose 
their relatives, he persecuted, he tortured, and maybe even relatives of those who he ordered to be put to death. If there was ever a man who was full of guilt and condemnation and regret, come on, folks, none of us have the regret that Paul has. And then Paul says these words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, did you hear that? Paul says, despite what I have done, despite my past, despite all my wickedness, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, you got to look back up in verse chapter 7. In chapter 7, Paul talks about his struggle with sin. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And, and there at the end of chapter 7, he, he says, Oh, what a wretched man I am. Therefore, because I was such a sinner, because of my struggle with sin, I want you to know, as he writes to the Christians in Rome, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus when you make Jesus Christ your personal Savior and Lord. He doesn't render you worthless. He doesn't render you of no value because what you have done in the past. But he takes your sins and he forgives them. He washes them as white as snow. And though you may feel a little guilty, Jesus says, you are not condemned. Oh my goodness. Guilt. You're not the boss of me. Because in Christ Jesus, I'm of value, I'm of worth, I'm somebody. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of life set me free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? The law of sin and death is when you sin, you die. The law of sin is when you sin, you're, you, you die. You're, you're condemned. But because Jesus Christ became a sin offering that we're going to read later on, died on the cross for you and I, there is the law of life. There is the spirit of life. That sets me free from being. I am not condemned because of the things I have done. I have been forgiven and I am of value and of worth in the kingdom of God. So therefore, guilt, you're not the boss of me. Now, I want to, this is how I, in my, I've, I've thought about this because 
if guilt leads you to repentance, but I don't see it as guilt. I see it as conviction. And in my mind, this is how I separated condemnation and conviction. Condemnation, guilt, deals with sin confessed. When you have sinned, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, but we still deal with the guilt, that's condemnation. Conviction deals with unconfessed sin. I've done something wrong. I feel bad about it. Therefore, I confess it to God, and he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all righteousness, unrighteousness, and I move on in my relationship with him. Because here's how I see it. Condemnation utilizes guilt. When a building has been condemned, what's the next step for it? They usually tear it down. The devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's nothing more. The devil would like to have you remind you of all your mistakes, of all your failures, and to plague you with guilt that you walk around condemned because he is out to steal, kill, and destroy. He utilizes guilt to debilitate you. God uses conviction for godly sorrow. God, I'm so sorry. I broke, I hurt your heart. God, I'm so... Condemnation creates a distance. Conviction creates a closeness. Draw nigh unto God, draw near unto God, and God will draw near unto you. Condemnation shows the problem. You're worthless. You're no good. You're this and you're that and you're a failure. Conviction shows the answer. Look unto me. Condemnation leads to shame. Conviction leads to repentance. There is one who is out to steal, kill, and destroy And as long as he can keep your past failures, thinking that you're of no value, that you're useless, that you're condemned, he tears you down and he debilitates your life. Jesus, though, is always about what? Whenever you read the New Testament, Jesus is always about what? Restoring, not tearing down. Jesus is always about restoring. If we think that God is holding a grudge against us, if we think that God is constantly trying to punish us for something we've done a long time ago, then we will never get past our past. I've heard people talk to me before, Pastor, I I just know God's not answering my prayer because 25 years ago, I went into that little corner store and I stole an ice pop. Were you convicted? Did you confess it? Draw near to God.
When the Lord forgives our sins, he never brings it up again. The enemy is the one who keeps bringing it up. Compare. Now we need to comprehend. What did Jesus do for you? For what the law was powerless, what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the human, by the, the sinful nature. The law just basically showed us what sinners we are. And what the law was powerless to do to bring us salvation, God did. And how did God bring us salvation? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering so that he condemned sin in sinful man. Our view of the past changes when we have the view of the cross. When we can look back and see all our wickedness and see all our failures and see all our mistakes, but we see it in light of the cross, it changes. At the cross, Jesus took what actually you and I deserved. Jesus took what we deserved on himself. Divine condemnation, self-condemnation, all condemnation. And Jesus basically says, come to me with your guilt, with your eyes eyed open, without any stories, without any excuses. And, And come on, let's agree together that you are guilty. You broke someone's heart. You lied to someone to get your own way. You knew better, but you did it anyway. Own it. You're guilty. But you are not condemned because that's why I sent my son as a sin offering that he condemned sin, that sin no longer has power over you to render you useless, worthless, and and, 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 uh, of unvalue. And Jesus says, when I see you, I don't see that. When I see you, I don't see that. Because he condemned sin. Sin can no longer render us, for those who are in Christ Jesus, worthless, of no value. Guilt, shame, you're not the boss of me. I have a new boss, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. God chooses to love and to listen to you as if what took place in the past never happened. 
You're guilty because you did it. But you're not condemned because Jesus took your condemnation. Guilty, but not condemned. Can you comprehend? Now listen. You forfeit the right to condemn yourself because you're not your own to condemn. When you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're not your own anymore. You're God's. Therefore, you don't have a right to condemn yourself. No matter what you've done, you have a new boss. So tell that voice of shame. Tell that voice of failure. Tell that voice of pasmate. Tell guilt. You're not the boss of me. Your guilt will remind you. We, we can never forget. It will, our, our guilt will remind us. But it doesn't have to define who we are. It doesn't define us. You did it. But you are not what you did. Because you're no longer condemned. Your past is a reminder to look to God in gratitude. Those who have been forgiven much will what? Will love much. I, I've given this illustration a couple times. Heather and I many years ago were down in Alexandria, Virginia at a praise conference. Church we had never been to, we, we came in, and, and, and during worship, over in the right-hand corner was this individual who, God forgive me for judging, but he was just leaping and dancing. You know, he would, he, we would say he was probably maybe a couple sandwiches short of a picnic. You, you know what I'm saying? You just, every church has one of those. When the worship was done, the pastor got up to greet everybody and welcomed all the visitors. And he says, I hope you were not distracted by our leaping lawyer. Uh Who? Our leaping lawyer. He's a predominant lawyer in the Alexandria area. And I'll tell you what, he has, been given of, he has been forgiven of so much that he loves God so much. And I sat there and I said, God, forgive me. You forfeit the right to condemn others because that would make you a hypocrite. You forfeit the right to condemn others because that would make you a hypocrite. You forfeit the right to size others up and write them off. You love the unlovable. You forgive the unforgivable. You realize that freely you have received. Freely you shall give. And last, let me move through this real quick here. We've compared, we've comprehended. What the Lord has done. Now we need to commit 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the what? According to the Spirit. All right. I normally don't give you assignments through the week to do. <laughs> Some of you are looking up like assignments. Do something for me this week. In Romans chapter 7, take note how many times the word I appear. I, 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 I. Take note how many times the word law appears. Law, 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 law. And chapter 7 is all about the struggle of Paul's struggle with sin. Then in chapter 8, take note how many times the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit appears. What overcomes the sinful life? It's the Spirit whom God has given, who has chosen our bodies as a temple of the living God, that as we yield to the Spirit, we have power over sin that condemns. The Spirit will never contradict God's word. The Spirit will never act out of hatred. And the Spirit will never divide the body of Christ. My past will remind me, but it doesn't define me because therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what I have done, I still am valuable, I am still useful, and I'm still worthy of all God has to give to me. Guilt, you're not the boss of me. Would you bow your heads? As the worship team comes and as the worship team comes over in building B, and, and Pastor Todd, you, you over in building B, you, you're going to lead them in, in communion. Uh, let's just remain sensitive to the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I can't tell you how many times in talking and counseling with people. They have been such under such great weight because of guilt that they think they're not of value, they don't think they're of worth. But Lord, here in Romans chapter 8, you set out the principles of how you gave your son to be a sin offering. That sin 
was condemned. We, we are not judged by what we have done. But we are judged by whose we are. And as a child of yours, Lord, help us to take that voice of shame and not give any credence to it. That voice of guilt and condemnation. Lord, let us never give any creed, heedance to it. Lord, let us be open to the voice of your Holy Spirit that convicts that we may repent and be ever drawn near to you. Therefore, after Paul thought about all his struggle with sin, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All of you have received your elements for communion at this time. And you know what? I, I just thought that There may be some here this morning who would say, Pastor,